Hello and welcome back to In the Past podcast. Today we are going to begin our series on the six wives of Henry VIII. In this series, we will go through the lives of each of these six women who found themselves forever cemented in history as the wife of Henry VIII. Catherine was born into Spanish royalty. Spain was at the height of their power. Spain was not exactly as we know it today. It was a series of kingdoms, and the marriage between Ferdinand and Isabella essentially united Spain. Catherine's father was Ferdinand II of Aragon. He controlled Valencia, Majorca, Sardinia, and Sicily. Ferdinand was one of the kings who held major influence over the colonization of the Americas. Ferdinand and Isabella had been the ones to sponsor the expedition that would lead Columbus to the New World in 1492. Catherine's mother was Isabella I of Castile. Her marriage to Ferdinand had been one of defiance, marrying him without consent in 1469. Isabella became queen in 1474, and she ruled until her death in 1504. Catherine was born on December 16, 1485, the youngest child of Ferdinand and Isabella. The year that she was born was also the year that her future husband's own father, Henry VII, won the English crown three months earlier and founded a new dynasty, the Tudors. One could almost say that her destiny was intertwined with that of the Tudors since the moment she entered this world. At the age of three, she was betrothed to the Tudor heir, Arthur, but her parents had their concerns, and rightly so. At the time of the agreement, Henry VII had only been king of England for three years, and he had a weak claim to the throne at that. As intelligent and caring parents, Ferdinand and Isabella didn't want to just hand off their daughter to the son of a man who might be overthrown. Regardless of their apprehensions, Catherine grew up knowing that she was going to be... Bleh. Regardless of their apprehensions, Catherine grew up knowing that she was the Princess of Wales, destined to be the future Queen of England. She knew that one day she would have to say goodbye to Spain and her parents forever. When Catherine turned seven in 1493, it was decided that when she was 12, she would then be sent to England. In August of 1497, Catherine and Prince Arthur were formally betrothed in England by proxy with Dr. de Puebla standing in for Catherine. Her arrival to England was postponed from 1498 to the year 1500. This was so that Prince Arthur would be 14 and considered old enough to consummate their marriage. Despite all the steps taken to get Catherine to England, sooner rather than later, Ferdinand was still extremely cautious before sending his daughter over there. Ferdinand was no fool, and when a man named Perkin Warbeck, pretending to be the son of once King Edward IV, came forward, he once again hesitated. It only reinforced the fear that he was sending his daughter into an unstable kingdom. Not only that, but the Earl of Warwick, Edward, the son of George Plantagenet, and the nephew of Richard III and Edward IV, was still alive. He was a young child at this time, but nonetheless, the boy held a much stronger claim to the throne of England than Henry Tudor. The child had been held in the Tower of London since 1485 and the age of 10, when Henry VII had taken the throne. Because of this very real and substantial threat, Ferdinand told Henry that if the actual marriage of their children were to take place, Henry would need to do some housekeeping. Until both Perkin Warbeck and the young Earl of Warwick were taken out, Catherine would never step foot in England. 
Some historians have speculated that Warwick might have had a mental disability. One has to wonder if being raised imprisoned in the Tower of London didn't have some damaging effect as well. In any case, the young Earl pleaded guilty to assisting Perkin Warbeck in an escape attempt, and in November of 1499, the young man was beheaded on Tower Hill, and with his death came an end to the male line of Plantagenet. At long last, in the summer of 1501, Catherine finally set off for England. Her procession through Spain was in a litter where she was forced to keep the curtains shut. Until her marriage, Catherine would be veiled one way or another. With her, she brought an expansive wardrobe as well as a lady-in-waiting, Donna Elvira Manuel, who had been chosen by her mother, Isabella. Donna Manuel would be there to watch over Catherine and ensure her welfare. On September 27, 1501, Catherine boarded a ship that would take her away from Spain to England. She landed in Plymouth and set off to London. When Henry VII learned of her arrival, both he and his son Arthur were excited to meet her. When Henry VII arrived and learned that he was not to meet Princess Catherine, he was quite upset. She had gone to bed innocently enough, but Henry was the suspicious type. His mind wandered and he demanded to see her. Donna Manuel allowed him into her rooms where Catherine met him, heavily veiled. Henry lifted the veil and was relieved to find that she was blemish-free and very beautiful. Catherine had been described numerous times throughout her young life at this point as having blue eyes, a fair complexion, and reddish-gold hair. Now that Henry had inspected her, Arthur could meet his bride in person. Arthur was instantly attracted to Catherine. They spent the evening together, talking and dancing. I have to wonder what each other was thinking and what the young couple looked like interacting. Arthur was only 15 and Catherine herself was just shy of 16. In the morning, King Henry and his son departed back to London to begin preparing for the wedding. The Archbishop of Canterbury married Catherine and Arthur. Both were dressed in white satin for their wedding. Arthur's younger brother, Henry, was tasked with giving the bride away. At the end of the evening, after feasting and dancing, it was time to put the couple in their marriage bed. Catherine and her husband were undressed with the help of their attendants. The couple got into bed and waited, while the Archbishop of Canterbury blessed the bed and then the curtains were closed. Their guests left them alone. What happened on this night would have to come forward 27 years later when Catherine demanded to tell her account of her first wedding night. Marital bliss was not to last for long. Marital bliss was not to last long for the young couple. In late March 1502, the couple, recently settled in their new Welsh home at Ludlow, both came down with a sickness. On April 2, 1502, Arthur, Prince of Wales, and only married for six months to Catherine, died. Arthur was embalmed and taken to Worcester where he was laid to rest. Arthur was embalmed and taken to Worcester where he was laid to rest. Catherine did not attend his funeral, which was traditional for her time. She was now recovered from the illness that had taken her husband. She dressed in black and returned to London where she would be under the care of her mother-in-law, Elizabeth of York. Catherine was now a young widow, stuck in a foreign land, and had no idea what was going to happen next. Now Catherine was a widow at only age 16. When word of Arthur's death reached Ferdinand in Spain, he demanded the return of his daughter and the first payment of her dowry that had been paid. 
Henry confessed that he was thinking of marrying her to his son Henry, but not unless her parents made a motion. He did not want to lose out on the strength of a Spanish alliance. He now waited for Ferdinand to suggest the match himself. The problem with Catherine's potential marriage to Henry was that Henry was five years younger, was five years younger than Catherine, only age 11, and according to the Bible, it was not feasible for a woman to marry her husband's brother. But, as usual, the church had ways around what the Bible said. Ferdinand and Isabella were great defenders of the faith and had little doubt that the Pope would give them a dispensation that would allow Catherine and Henry to marry. It's unclear what Catherine, now nearly 17 years old, thought about her future husband, who was only 18. She was stuck in a boring routine as a widow, that much is sure. She wasn't even allowed to dance when the occasion called for it. It couldn't have been an easy time in her life. If she were to be betrothed to Henry, despite whatever potential negatives, the positive were that she could end her mourning and still become the Queen of England, something that she had been expecting since she was old enough to comprehend the idea. Henry VII, Ferdinand, and Isabella all agreed that Catherine would marry Henry, but negotiations had been very slow. The process stalled even further when Queen Elizabeth of York Henry VII's wife gave birth to her eighth child, but sadly, she died a few days later on her birthday, February 11, 1503. Henry was beside himself with grief. Catherine played the dutiful daughter and kept vigil by Elizabeth's body and mourned her death with the English court. She had been under Elizabeth's care since Arthur's death a year earlier, and now she was far from home and her family, had no husband, and had no mother figure. The idea began to circulate that Henry VII, down to one heir and no wife to give him any more, should marry Catherine. Ferdinand and Isabella would have nothing of the sort, and they were appalled at the idea. Henry VII was already frail, and Isabella would not have her daughter destined for a lifetime of widowhood when she could marry the young Henry instead and be queen. Henry VII dismissed the idea and focused on securing the marriage between his only son, Henry, and Catherine. They were going to wed in 1505 when Henry was 14. The parents would go to the Pope and ask for a dispensation. On December 26, 1503, the dispensation finally came, and the two were free to marry when Henry came of age. In 1504, Catherine became ill again. She spent most of the year sick, and many were worried that she would die. She suffered from fever and chills and had, const and had constant stomach issues. It is thought that the climate and the food in England is the source of Catherine's illness. After all, she had grown up in the climate in Spain, which was vastly different from the damp and often wet and often wet environment in England. But as the year came to an end, Catherine's health began to improve. Her mother, Isabella's health, however, was rapidly declining. Isabella worried about the dispensation, wondering if it were enough, and she voiced her opinion, but nothing came of it in the end. On November 20th, 1504, Queen Isabella of Castile died. Spain was no longer united by the great marriage. Isabella's crown passed to her daughter, Juana, and now Ferdinand only ruled his own kingdom of Aragon. A power struggle between Henry VII and Ferdinand began, and neither man seemed particularly concerned about their pawn, Catherine's, well-being. The next five years of Catherine's life were going to be rough. 
She was kept at court, but Henry cut off her allowance. She suffered recurring bouts of illness, most likely due to stress, and because she was often forced to eat yesterday's food. And bear in mind, back in the 16th century, there was no refrigeration. Catherine's wardrobe slowly began to show signs of wear and tear, and she had little funds to purchase new gowns. Since arriving in England, she had only had two new gowns added to her wardrobe. She had to stop paying her attendants, who understood why she could no longer pay their wages, but still, it was very embarrassing for Catherine. When Catherine's own sister was in England due to a shipwreck on the way back to Spain, there was no sisterly affection to be had. Juana herself was depressed, but also teetering on the brick. She had long been mentally unstable. She was unable to see how low Catherine's spirit was. Catherine was unable to ask for financial help, and no one seemed to care. Catherine's brother-in-law, Philip, spent his time in England entertaining the idea that his own daughter should marry Prince Henry, and not Catherine. It's hard to imagine the amount of stress that Catherine felt between her financial status, losing her mother, and being at the mercy of men who ignored her pleas for help. When Juana and Philip left, Catherine would never see her sister again. Philip died only six months after his time in England, and Juana was unable to hold a grip on her mental health. She was beyond consolation when he died, postponing his burial and even demanding the coffin be opened so she could hold him and kiss him, despite the fact that Philip was badly decomposing. Juana was plainly no longer fit for rule, and her father Ferdinand managed after two years to step in and take over her duties. Juana's son was only eight years old when he was crowned and needed someone to rule Castile until he was ready. Once again, Ferdinand had control and now appealed to Henry. But Henry VII was looking at Juana for marriage, not Catherine and Henry. Ferdinand told Henry that Juana was unfit for marriage. She was too mentally unstable. Henry was spurned by this. He cut off Catherine's allowance once more. He began looking elsewhere, but the Spanish ambassador threatened England with war if he broke their treaty. Catherine was also being ignored, often by Prince Henry, at the request of his father. By 1509, Catherine was tired of her suffering. There was talks about her returning to Spain. She wrote to her father that she didn't know how much more she could bear and that life felt like it wasn't worth living. Poor Catherine was clearly becoming suicidal, writing to her father that she may do something which neither her father or her father-in-law could do about it. In April 1509, it became apparent that Henry VII was gravely unwell. He died on April 22nd, but not before telling his son that he regretted his poor treatment of Catherine and that Henry needed to honor her and marry her. Henry VII was buried at Westminster Abbey, and young Henry, who was never expected to be king, was now King Henry VIII. Ferdinand urged Henry to marry Catherine quickly, and Henry was quite intent on reviving the war against France, claiming that the throne of France was his, but this was a tale as old as time. But Henry hesitated, considering that it was wrong to marry Catherine because she had been his brother's wife, again referring to the line in the Bible. Despite his personal thoughts on the matter, he was urged by all his counselors, and Henry himself desired Catherine, quote, above all women. Catherine was also five years older than Henry, now aged 23, when considering the average age of death for a woman at this time was 30, Catherine was no doubt old, but nonetheless, Henry wanted him, 
Henry wanted her for his bride. Catherine married Henry at long last on June 11th, 1509. Their wedding was private, unlike the very public wedding of Arthur and Catherine. Catherine's new husband, Henry, would have been a sight. He was six foot three, quite tall for his time, lean and muscular. He had blue eyes and auburn hair. Despite his infamy, one has to admit he probably was a very good looking man. Catherine had been one of the many who had been charmed by Henry, even when he had been a young boy. Catherine herself took the pomegranate for her symbol and the motto, humble and loyal. She would now be by his side for state and court functions. The letters H and K were to be put everywhere and Catherine even had her own throne next to Henry's. Henry and Catherine's marriage was no doubt consummated as Catherine was quickly pregnant only three months into their marriage. The fact that Henry and Catherine were expecting a child so quickly really makes me wonder if Arthur and Catherine did actually consummate their marriage. It's not to say that they didn't. It's very well that they could have, and because of their young age, perhaps nothing came of nothing came of it. But it's curious that only three months into their marriage, Catherine, who was considered to be on the older side for bearing children at this time, quickly fell pregnant. On January 31st, 1510, Catherine went into labor early and she gave birth to a daughter, but the baby was stillborn. Her heart was broken and she grieved the loss of this baby. Catherine quickly became pregnant again and Henry's eye had begun to stray. During her second pregnancy, Catherine discovered her husband had taken a mistress. And while it was not uncommon for this time, especially for a king, she was not pleased when it came to light. Henry had done his best to keep his affairs secret, from everyone at court as well, but to no avail. Henry himself saw nothing wrong with his be- he saw nothing wrong with his behavior, having taken care of Catherine and gotten her with child again. The couple was visibly displeased with each other, both parties feeling the other one was in the wrong. But Catherine could not continue to chide Henry for his mistress. She knew that she was behaving poorly as a queen and as a wife, and never again did she say anything to Henry about his behavior. This time she gave birth to a son named Henry on New Year's Day, 1511. The excitement Henry and Catherine enjoyed soon turned to grief as their son died on February 22nd. By September of that year, there were rumors that Catherine was pregnant again, but no child was born. It's possible that the rumors were false, or it's possible that she also had another miscarriage. Catherine became pregnant again, and she was understandably anxious about this pregnancy. Her fears, unfortunately, came true in October 1513, when once more she went into labor early and delivered another stillborn. This time, it was a son. Henry had been away when Catherine gave birth and had to come home to the sad news. By June of 1514, Catherine was pregnant once more. This pregnancy was not an easy one because she had been acting on behalf of her father, Ferdinand, but a rift between Ferdinand and Henry came. Henry took his anger out on Catherine, feeling unsure if he could trust her interests in England and if they weren't solely her father's own interests. She was reduced to an ornament for Henry and was no longer consulted for her advice. Her hope was that with the birth of this baby, God willing a son, that she could win Henry back. 
but Catherine was to suffer another disappointment and more heartbreak. In November of 1514, Catherine did deliver a son, but he only lived for a few hours. By 1515, Catherine was no longer regarded as the beauty she once had been. She had been through several miscarriages and pregnancies, which were hard on her physically. No doubt the immense stress that she faced for so many years before her marriage to Henry had also caused some wear. But by the end of that summer, she was pregnant once more. On February 18, 1516, at 4 a.m., Henry and Catherine's daughter Mary was born. This baby was to be the only one to survive infancy. Henry was happy, regardless of the baby's gender, and held fast to the belief that if he could father a healthy daughter, he could father a healthy son. Two years later, Catherine was expecting another baby. Catherine gave birth for the last time on November 10, 1518. Once more, she delivered a stillborn daughter, or if the baby survived, she only lived for a few hours before she could be christened. For all her suffering, Catherine began to wonder if the death of the innocent Earl of Warwick had cursed her life in England since it had began with bloodshed. Catherine was now 33 years old, whereas Henry was still in his 20s, and their age gap was becoming more prominent. Henry, the only son of Henry VII to survive to adulthood, was facing the beginning of a crisis that would haunt him through his entire reign. Henry had seen firsthand how having more than one heir was necessary, as he had been the spare, coupled with his dynasty's own fragility. The Tudors at this point had only held the crown for some 30 years. Henry slowly began to realize that his wife was the problem, not Henry himself. This was evident when Henry's mistress, Bessie Blount, gave birth to a son in 1519, named after Henry himself. The boy would grow into a strong teenager, and Henry went so far as to recognize young Henry as his own son in 1525, which obviously upset Catherine, but again, she said nothing. She continued to play the role of a dutiful wife and queen. By 1524, Catherine and Henry were no longer intimate with each other, and Catherine was soon entering menopause. After her last pregnancy and childbirth, she seemed to have suffered some gynecological issue that made sex difficult, and perhaps it was unappealing for Henry. In 1525, Catherine watched as her only child, Mary, was sent to Ludlow Castle in Wales, where the Prince of Wales would normally spend their childhood being educated. After 18 years of marriage had only produced one living child and a daughter at that, Catherine's husband began to grow frustrated and anxious. While there was no law that prevented their daughter Mary from inheriting her father's throne, the idea that whomever she married would be entitled to her throne as well and her children would carry that family name instead of the hard-won name of Tudor troubled Henry. Henry began the process of trying to divorce Catherine and sought it via the Pope, Clement VII. Clement was also under pressure from Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. He was quite literally his prisoner, and Charles V just happened to be Catherine's nephew and delayed for six years to give Henry what he desperately desired, a divorce. But more than needing an heir, Henry was hopelessly in love with a new woman, Anne Boleyn. 
Anne was Henry's latest love affair, and Catherine probably didn't bat an eye at first. But Henry was plagued by Anne's resistance to his charms. She refused to sleep with him. She would be his wife or nothing at all to him. And with this, the fate of England itself would change, as well as Catherine's life. Anne Boleyn was a member of Catherine's household. Catherine was well aware of Henry's eyes focusing in on Anne, but she knew that this was simply what Henry did, and within time he would grow tired of her and move on to the next one. Regardless of her personal feelings towards Anne, Catherine was polite and kind to her. In July 1531, Henry separated from his wife Catherine. Henry had already been looking around for someone who could replace Catherine and give him a son, and Anne had been chosen as her replacement. Obviously, we can never know what really happened on Catherine's wedding night to Arthur. She swore that their marriage was never consummated. While she was 15 on her wedding night, and Arthur was delighted to have his new bride alone, it's hard to say what really happened. Above all else, Catherine was a devout Catholic, and not just publicly. She was believed to have been truly religious and held fast to these principles. January 25, 1533, Henry gave in to his passion for Anne and married her in secret. Their marriage would remain a secret until Easter of that same year. There's no doubt when that news reached Catherine that she was devastated. How else could one feel hearing that their legal husband had married another woman and was moving on with his life? Catherine was a good woman, and she had loved her husband for all of his faults. She likely still saw the young and handsome man who had charmed her since she'd known him and championed for her when he had become king of England. May 23, 1533, Henry had his archbishop, Thomas Cramner, annul his marriage to Catherine. Henry took it a step further with the act of supremacy. With this act, Henry himself was now the supreme head of the new Church of England. He could dictate to whom he was married or not married, and now be free of Catherine. He no longer needed the Pope. Catherine was no longer Henry's wife, and Princess Mary was no longer the heir to the throne, or legitimate. Henry now sent Catherine away in exile. Mary was loyal to her mother, who wrote to her and told her to be strong and remember that she is the princess. She is the Princess of Wales. Catherine herself would refuse to be called princess, and insisted on still being called queen. Catherine did not acknowledge the Church of England, and she still considered herself Henry's rightful wife. Catherine fell ill on December 1st, 1535. She was already unwell and had chest pains, but now she was confined to her bed and could hardly eat. She slowly improved, able to get up and sit in a chair, but once more Catherine was broke and had no money to pay her servants. She quietly celebrated her 50th birthday, but on December 26th, she took a turn for the worse. She was in constant pain and unable to sleep, even though she was bedridden. Catherine made her will in early January, expecting this to be her end. On her deathbed, Catherine once again swore that she had been a virgin when she married Henry. It's hard to believe that such a religious woman, on the cusp of meeting her maker, would lie one last time and apparently risk her soul in doing so. Catherine died aged 50 on January 7, 1536 at Kimbolton House in England.
Henry chose for Catherine to be buried at Peterborough Abbey and provided her with a beautiful state funeral. On the day of her funeral, January 29, 1536, Henry honored her by wearing black. Anne, however, was elated that the thorn at her side was dead, and she wore yellow. Some of you may be wondering what happened to the only living child of Henry and Catherine. Their daughter Mary would become Queen of England after the death of her half-brother Edward in 1553. She ruled England for only five years until her own death in 1558. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to leave a review wherever it is that you listen from, then that would be fantastic. I really appreciate each and every one of you who listens, and it would really help me out if you leave a positive review. You can also find me on Instagram as well at pod in the past. That's pod, P-O-D, in the past. Let me know your thoughts. What topic or person from history do you think I should cover after we go through the six wives and Henry? Be sure to listen to our next episode. It's, of course, going to be on Anne Boleyn, the second wife of Henry VIII. And again, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening. Take care. Bye.